Greetings, Ragbag Alliance. Please consider supporting this podcast by buying one or more of my books, A History of Sarcasm, 100 and Everything I Am. Even if you've read them all already, buy them for someone else and spread the word. They're really good books. All the details at frankburton.co.uk. If you fancy getting something else free of charge, I highly recommend the Ragbag Rambler video series. It really is one of the best things I've ever done. If you like this podcast, you would definitely like the Ragbag Rambler. Again, the only place you can see these videos is at frankburton.co.uk. I'm not on social media. I'm not on YouTube. This is all pretty much all under the radar and I think that's a good thing. I think this is like our little secret. But also, if you could tell everyone that you know about it, that too would be great. Cheers. Welcome to Ragbag. My name's Frank Burton. This is it. We finally made it to the milestone episode. Welcome to episode 63. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome our special guest, Thomas Truax, on the show later on. So we've got Thomas Truax on in the second half of the show. He really is the perfect guest for the weird and wonderful world of Ragbag. You'll see what I mean later on. Here's one of the things he's going to be saying to me. I kind of work by instinct, but these days I'm less afraid of, or I'm less bothered by the idea that something might resemble something else. Um, And I'm also... I don't care too much if it sounds like it's from another era or if it's um, rather than mess it up, I'll sometimes actually go with that feel and I'll say, okay, well, you know, I don't know if that sounds like the Beach Boys or if that sounds like the Cocteau Twins or if that sounds like, um, you know, you name it, (laughs) think, well, what would they do with it? What would they do and what would it turn into and why would they have done it that way and how would I do it differently? So, or, or should I do it the same way? Because actually that sounds really nice. And it, I, I know that I've, maybe I'm fortunate. I don't know. Maybe I've established myself as nothing in particular. And so people generally expect me to come up with something that's maybe nothing in particular that doesn't fit into a certain box. Right, so it's shout-outs time. Shout-out to everyone who's been in touch to request a medical referral. It really is rewarding work, I can tell you that. Davis has requested a referral to a chiropractor. He says, I don't have any back issues, but my girlfriend used to walk up and down on my spine just to click everything into place. She didn't really need to do it, I just enjoyed the process. Now she's left and I've got no one to walk on my back. Sorry to hear that, Davis. You'll be hearing from a chiropractor in your area very soon. 
Jeremy says, I went to see my GP to ask for a heart transplant. She said, you don't have a heart condition. I said, yes, I know. I just like the idea of having an organ from someone else's body replacing one of my own. It's one of the wonders of modern science and I'd very much like to be part of it. Can you help? He says. Of course I can help, Davis. It's what I'm here for. One referral for one heart transplant coming right up. I've still got a few sceptics of this little scheme of mine getting in touch, telling me that impersonating a doctor is fraudulent and highly illegal. Look, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but no it isn't. If impersonating a doctor was fraudulent and highly illegal, how do you explain George Clooney? How do you explain George Clooney? It's a good question, that one. Very good question. How do you explain George Clooney? How do you explain George Clooney? How do you explain George Clooney? It's a good question that one. Very good question. Very good question. How do you explain George Clooney? Very good question. How do you explain George Clooney? It's a good question, that one. Very good question. Very good question. How do you explain George Clooney? How do you explain George Clooney? How do you explain George Clooney? I'm available. I'm available. 5,000 of these t-shirts with the words I'm available written on it. Hashtag ragback. I thought that would be a good idea. It's kind of like a weird radio show. It's kind of like a weird radio show. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. I'm available. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. Burt Reynolds. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. I'm available. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. Burt Reynolds. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. I'm available. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. Burt Reynolds. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. A weird radio show. I'm available.
the weird radio show. The weird radio show. The weird radio show. How do you explain George Clooney? How do you explain George Clooney? How do you explain George Clooney? The weird radio show. The weird radio show. The weird radio show. I'm available. The weird radio show. The weird radio show. The weird radio show. Burt Reynolds. The weird radio show. The weird radio show. The weird radio show. I'm available. The weird radio show. The weird radio show. The weird radio show. Burt Reynolds. It's time for this week's guest. It's the singer, songwriter, multimedia artist, inventor and all-round maverick, Thomas Truax. Now, he's been around for a long time, but I must confess I only discovered his music fairly recently. And I have to say, I fell in love with it. It really is a joy to discover new music that seems to inhabit a world of its own. Let's hear some of it now, then we'll hear from Thomas.
I started building my own instruments. I hadn't really laid out a plan to do anything specific as how how I ended up, and it's probably all all better for that. I was I was doing bands. The last band I had, I had many incarnations of it. Usually it was a trio, but then sometimes it would. Um, usually, what would happen is we'd lose lose a drummer for one reason or another. At some point I started, um, I always experimented with, with building things. Um, I always had a kind of tinkering bone in my body. And I, uh, at one point started building a drum machine out of a bicycle wheel. I, w I went to an open mic in New York City, played a few songs, uh, didn't enjoy the experience much of playing on my own. It was the first time that I ever did anything like that. But the promoter there, a guy called Latch, really enjoyed the songs I played and asked me if I would be interested in doing a gig just as a solo performer. And I was thrown by that. I said, well, I've, I've only, I don't, I don't usually do this, this solo thing. And he goes, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I've got, I've got a band, but we're not functioning right now. And then I've got, um, I'm, I'm working on this drum machine made out of bike wheels. And he said, oh, bring that in just just do whatever you want just come in and play and so i i threw some more tunes together and brought in this barely functioning bicycle wheel drum machine and um got a few of my friends to come down and i felt it was fairly disastrous but um i noticed right away that everybody was really intrigued by this this spinning wheel that was making sounds at the end of the sh of the show I, the drum machine practically fell apart during the performance but uh at the end of the show my friends and some other people there were all saying oh this is so much better than your band which which was a little bit of an insult but everybody encouraged me to go in this direction so i um i did what i was told and haven't really looked back <laughs> that's that's how it it started I started, uh, I found myself a loop pedal and and did some, what so many people are doing now, but this was about 20 years ago. So it was, um, there weren't many loop pedals around, believe it or not. The idea that you were recording stuff on stage and then playing it back and singing over it felt really like cheating at the time to me. So I tried to make as many things as I could that were mechanical or um, machine driven so that they were visibly playing themselves to to get past that that cheating thing yeah i mean like you were saying that people kind of responding to way to, to how it looked uh, on stage because they're very kind of uh, visually interesting things to look at and to see them working is that something that you were kind of paying attention to what when you were putting them together like the way that they would look on stage yeah, definitely. Uh, the curious thing might be that I was a, for quite a long time, I wanted to be a filmmaker or a visual artist of some sort. I did a stint at NYU Film School, and I think I just decided that you had to wake up too early in the morning to make films um, on any sort of 
proper scale. And um, with music, you could stay up late and that was just more my nature. But there's always been that visual side to me. And for some reason, it took me quite a while to, I mean, nowadays, I think everybody does everything. We all, we all make our own videos and record our own records. And, and it's just, you can do so much more. Um, every year it gets easier to do so many more things. But there was, yes, always a, a, a visual element. And for some reason, I, even though I also see music in a largely visual context, I didn't put two and two together until it was uh, almost that half accidental, half by necessity thing that I was discussing before. How do you mean you see musical in a visual context? My, when I listen to music, uh, my preferred way of doing it is closing my eyes and seeing where it takes me. There's often a um, abstract visual element to it. When I'm writing music, I feel like I, I'm seeking out a, an atmosphere or a texture which often has a strong visual component to it or a story that involves characters and a I feel that my more successful trials at trying to make working songs are are the ones that have a have a multi-dimensional um, I mean music's music's multi-dimensional anyway but have a strong visual element to it. Yeah yeah I mean I th I think your your lyrics I'm sure you'll agree have got a, a lot of visually evocative things in them and uh, yeah it's interesting to to hear that you have kind of visual stuff going on in your head when you hear music as well that, that's kind of that's cool it's just the way that i i see with my ears and hear with my eyes i suppose <laughs> i'm no scholar about this but i have have read about how music activates a multitude of different neurotransmitters in your in your brain it sends your brain into a kind of multitasking thing all its own and exercises yeah, various parts of your brain simultaneously that most other art forms don't tend to. So when I when I read about that and, and looked into it a little more, it, it didn't surprise me that that's, I think for most people, there's to a greater or lesser degree, there's a visual component. Some people, I think more than me. I mean, I, I've got friends that you can name a key and they'll, they'll tell you what color that key is and things like that or... or um, I'm not quite like that. Yeah, well, there's a whole diagnosable condition, um, synesthesia, isn't it, where you, you literally see different colours for different sounds and everything that's like that. That's right. Like, yeah, that's literally right. see them in front of your eyes. And then there's acid. <laughs> <laughs> for the strong world.
your current lineup? Yeah, this is um, this is an interesting thing that's happening right now. I went for quite a long time with what what kind of developed into I, I somewhat jokingly referred to the to them as my band with my um, third wheel drum machine that I built, Mother Superior. They've all got their own personalities, and uh, there's the the hornicator, an old gramophone horn with various things that you pluck and and play it's a fretted instrument but you know, i would guide anybody to look at pictures on the internet if you do a search for hornicator if you're not familiar with it because i'll i'll certainly describe something that won't quite be accurate those two and then a, a stringling i won't even go into that one but these these i've been touring with and along with my guitar who is called hank um i've been touring with them for for quite a few years as I don't know my my stable lineup, I, I think we've especially with the Hornicator. I think if I went and played a gig without the Hornicator or even without Mother Superior, people would you know if the Rolling Stones showed up and didn't have Keith Richards, people would say yeah, but but I want my money back, that sort of thing. That's that's been a healthy thing. But I've also in in the back of my mind thought I really want to. I had ideas for all kinds of different instruments, and they're they're quite time consuming to build so but last year i started on a couple new things not necessarily to replace the keith richards of my band but to add to add and, and get adventurous and go in new directions and, and new sounds and things um, also to just deal with the fact that touring and and being portable when you when you're kind of a one-man band with a whole lot of stuff that you've got to cart around it can become difficult. I spend a, a lot of time trying to make things that are collapsible and don't weigh a ton and that I can squeeze into my car when I go out on the road and so on. I've been working on some of these things and, and was about to embark on a, um, what I was calling a new new music machines tour um, when the, the whole COVID situation hit. Yeah, had quite a quite a lot of dates canceled because of that. So on a certain level, I mean, I was, I was ready to do it, but all my instruments are kind of works in progress. So that was kind of be kind of a baptism by fire thing. Now I've stepped back a bit and I'm refining some of the things that I thought, well, that would have been the first thing that would have broken down on the first night of the tour. And all that being said, so in other words, I'm preparing, I've, I've taken some of the extra time that we've now all got, or most of us have, and started directing it towards perfecting or eh, perfecting would be pushing it actually but improving some of this prototype stuff that i'm working on but it's looking more and more likely that the full-on touring situation along with most of my contemporaries is, is not looking that promising right now i think there will be some activity but it looks like it might be a long time before things really kick into gear with the live thing again. So I'm dealing with a kind of period right now where I'm like so many people trying to sort out what do we do next? What do we do now? Um, maybe my circuit of, of live venues that I usually do, um, some of them probably may not even be there when I'm next ready to go or when it's possible to go. So, you know, may, maybe all this thinking about how can I, make these so portable and collapsible is too much of a preoccupation because 
maybe the goalposts are completely moved, as they say now. And um, I'm not sure, as far as your original question goes, I, I was, yeah, I was going to expand the band, but now I'm not sure if that kind of platform is, is even what's going to happen. I, I think it will, but I am wondering if possibly it's time to just completely reinvent the whole, the whole thing again. And I'm not sure what that means even, but it's exciting. Have you done any live stream type stuff? I did a couple um, at the beginning of this, and I did a couple of guest things. I did a, um, a daytime or a festival, a joyzine festival benefit thing where I played a short set and um, a couple of yeah friends that had me on their broadcast. But I've been I've been wary about it. I'm trying to think how can I be inventive about this and um, much as I admire and, and have so many friends that are doing this, uh, you know, acoustic guitar player in their bedroom, I don't know how much life that's going to have in it in the long run. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that, maybe this is the future of things. Um, I'm also slightly intimidated by the fact that how I explained, I, I started out doing this, this, um, almost accidentally but out of out of a almost a kind of necessity doing this one-man band situation that i have i hate to you know label it like that but it is in in many ways what i do um and then suddenly with the covid thing seeing loads of people who are in bands uh, on large and small scales discovering what they can do with loop pedals and discovering what they can do with a little experimentation and thinking Oh shit! That's that's my that's my game over. I, I I'm not the only one doing this in town anymore, for certain. And I I think there will be people that, um, like myself, earlier in when I started doing this, maybe won't look to going back to their previous existence. Maybe won't be able to go back to doing a four or five piece band on the road because economically it won't work. So I'm a little intimidated by the idea that maybe I've got to do something completely different if I want to continue to live up to my um, reputation as somebody that does things differently, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it, ma it makes complete sense, yeah. All that being said, I've had my, my wife and people that I trust that I've discussed this with have all told me I'm paranoid and that I'm, um, it's not just because of what I do with these invented instruments that have personalities and things that people come to the shows. It it's, um, has a lot more to do with the music I do and such. So it, they're usually right. My friends are usually right. And I'm usually just slightly, uh, I'd like to think of a better term for it, but yeah, slightly paranoid about. Oh, well, maybe you're just overthinking it perhaps yeah that's well that's that's something i'm definitely guilty of a lot i'm personally optimistic i think that um I, I would like to think that there will be a point if not in the near future then in the future where live gigs will be part of normal life once again and i hope so yeah yeah but you know i i expect also that there'll be a, a greater demand because people have missed out but people have spent several months kind of missing out on these things as well so yeah yeah um i mean there are i have scheduled gigs i have rescheduled gigs 
a couple of them coming up throughout the autumn. There were a couple more that have fallen off the tree because um, little venues are struggling and some of them just aren't able to commit or in the saddest cases aren't actually going to still exist by the time it's possible to do it again. I remember talking to my friend Adam in Leeds who books me out up there sometimes and he was just saying, you know, it's going to be a, these gigs that happen after all these postponed gigs and everybody being at, at home for all these months are going to be monster parties. People are just going to be so excited to get out and they're going to be busier and, and happier than anything we've seen. So that's the nice way of looking at it. Maybe we'll all be in some kind of spacesuits when we go there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I read like a serious article about that actually, about literally that. I think people just wearing these kind of suits or kind of uh, huge kind of things over the head there was a um was it the flaming lips maybe that they were doing a thing where they were all the band and the audience were all in a kind of clear bubble <laughs> 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 i saw something i don't know much about it. it it gave me a laugh but i thought that actually is a, a brilliant idea which it probably doesn't make a lot of economic sense at the moment but it <laughs> No, no, it's a bit of a logistical nightmare, that one. For the Flaming Lips, it's fine, but if you're a, a small uh, band playing in the corner of a pub, I don't think uh, that's, that's going to be viable. Yeah, this is a, a frustrating thing for, for people on my level and people that are on a, you know, either slightly above or below me on the, on the, you know, on the scale of what kind of shows you do. I don't I don't play I don't play arenas I don't play large venues but um you know there's both possible optimistic and pessimistic outcomes some of the um potentially optimistic ideas is that people you know if I if I play a town where I draw 100 people or even or 50 people or 30 people even I could be booked into a 200 seater place where they could still have social distancing installed but then you know these bands that are booked to be playing stadiums are are struggling a bit more with having a place where they could actually put social distancing in so that works for us smaller acts <laughs> yeah yeah i think a lot of the venues that i would normally play they kind of function on the basis that they're pretty packed that's the pessimistic side of it that's you know, I, I hope we all I hope we all make it through to the other side and still exist. But um, you know, all that being said, people are. I'm one person, and I I I haven't come up with great solutions yet. But um, the world is full of loads of brilliant people that will come up with ideas. Um, I mean, me, people are always interested in music, and and um, through through all periods of history, though live entertainment and music are part of of human existence and there's some way to do it I'm sure somebody will come up with a great idea and I'll just think why didn't I think of that but it'll be good for all of us Different. It would be differently done. If war were a woman, if war 
before the gun. But even here in New Jersey. But even here in New Jersey. Words don't always satisfy. Words don't always satisfy. Well, it has only made you cry. She ran outside with all those blues. Down to the beach without her shoes. And whispered to the twilight sky. Tonight we gotta fly above this. Because you're not kind of following any social trends, it seems to me. And you're not sort of uh, adopting things that other people are adopting at the moment. Then again, it also it doesn't sound retro either. It just it's its own thing. I'm just wondering if you have to consciously make an effort to do that to kind of resist going down certain paths in order to avoid sounding like other people, or is that just kind of naturally what you're like? For every every song I write, or every each and everything I do, there's not really a, a rule book to it. I do I do have moments where I'll start working on something like anyone would do and say oh what does that sound like i don't know but i i recognize it it sounds good but it sounds like something else i'm sure i'm i'm sure that this is coming to my head from somewhere else and sometimes you'll go through the whole process of putting together um, a multi-track recording and writing something out and only to find later your memory or you'll hear a song or a piece of music or something and go oh god that's where that came from now i know but it can be that whole time that you don't know it. Uh, that used to be something that really bothered me. And I would intentionally screw things up just to make sure that that didn't happen. As soon as it went one direction, I'd steer it in a different direction or put a blindfold on or throw it down the stairs or, or just do something to, to fuck it up basically so that, so that you were sure it, it was going to turn into something else. But in a longer span, I've, I've, I do that less now. Um, I'm less afraid of, I think it's not just me, but a cultural thing, a, a shift towards, you look at, you look at sort of the, the ethics of, of rap lyrics and things like that. They, these guys just, whether it's blatant robbery or whether it's, it's a tribute, they're just constantly bouncing things around a hit song from two weeks ago is somebody else's, um, you know, the phrase appears in somebody else's song. And it's obviously that, that they're not trying to hide it. Although, you know, you, you see all kinds of lawsuits and, and business happening, but essentially it's, I think it's just more acceptable that everybody's making a collage now of, of things that came before it may have a lot to do with with streaming music and and the fact that there's just everybody's aware that there's so much more out there than there used to be that that everybody has access to that and and maybe kind of an acceptance that there's not necessarily such a thing as something completely original i kind of work by instinct but these days i'm less afraid of or I'm less bothered by the idea that something might resemble something else. Um, and I, I'm also, I don't care too much if it sounds like it's from another era or if it's, um, rather than mess it up, I'll sometimes actually go with that feel and I'll say, okay, well, you know, I don't know if that sounds like the Beach Boys or if that sounds like the Cocteau Twins or if that sounds like, 
um, you know, na you name it, <laughs> think, well, what would they do with it? What would they do and what would it turn into and why would they have done it that way and how would I do it differently? So, or, or should I do it the same way? Because actually that sounds really nice. And it, I, I know that I've, maybe I'm fortunate, I don't know, maybe I, I've established myself as nothing in particular. And so people generally expect me to come up with something that's maybe nothing in particular that doesn't fit into a certain box. Yeah, yeah. I, I think with your lyrics as well, there's another one that I jotted down because it's sort of um, what you were saying about not wanting to do things that other people have done. And I, I made a note of tenderize me with your tender eyes, which I absolutely loved. And I was kind of like, why hasn't anybody thought of that before? <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that was just sitting right there. And nobody's thought of it until now. <laughs> um, well, that's that's kind of what we're all, I think, if, as a songwriter, I think that's sort of the dream that you're after. I, I had a lot of appreciation when I was a teenager for things that were uh, challenging. I liked the kind of punk and post-punk ethos of, um, and, and no, noise bands and things that, um, things that that went against the grain and could be irritating and and I just loved that stuff and I took it into my into my own cookbook and embraced it for a long time and spent a lot of time wondering why are my records not appealing to a larger audience or you know why can't I get a big record deal why can't I this and that it took me a long time to realize that most people actually don't want to be antagonized. And I think this is even more true now than it has been in the past because the world is becoming a more frightening and more challenging place. I think people are looking more for comfort in music and for escapism in music, um, at least on a, a popular level. And I would, yeah. I would make a disclaimer, so I, I haven't really striven in any realistic way to try and become a, a pop music, you know, pop musician. I mean, that it's a lovely idea that you'd have a massive audience, but if that was really what I was after, obviously I would do things very differently. But there is, you know, there is always a desire, music uh, comes from a desire to communicate abstract things to people and, and to share something that is in you that you can't ex express any other way. It took me a long time to just realize the fact that people want something uh, that feels good coming into their ears. And if you can entice people in with that, then maybe you can, you know, maybe use an analogy like a film where if you if you bring people into something that's exciting or interesting or comforting then once you've got them then maybe you can maybe you can challenge them in a way that they would not initially react against does that make sense yeah yeah it does make sense yeah yeah and um yeah, I think I'd, I'd like to disagree with you, but I, I, I don't think I can. <laughs> There's a part of me that's thinking, no, no, people do, people do want to be challenged. But uh, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, yeah. But particularly, um, I think a lot of popular music is aimed at people who don't really like music. 
but those people listening to those things would probably disagree strongly. I, I've, uh, I mean, I've yeah. come across a lot of people in my life that find out that I would do music and they go, oh, I love music. I'll have to, you'll have to play me with what you're doing. And then you can see them melt when they find out what I'm actually doing. I think it's all part of, of being uh, someone who does things differently. You're appealing to a minority of people. I think maybe that's the case. My experience is that um, I, I have people that, that I'm very fortunate. I've got people that really love what I'm doing and, and make that known to me. And, and that's a, a really wonderful thing. I feel very blessed for that. Um, but I do have frustrations when I'm, I'm trying to, as they say in the business, expand your audience and, and find avenues into, you know, just... Um, growing your audience and, and playing larger venues and so on and so forth. It's, it's a, a difficult thing in, in this, this age. There's, you know, people left and right, what we call bottom feeders, trying to tell you that you can do this this way and this that way. And um, <laughs> good Lord. I was listening to uh, Wow Town News, the podcast earlier. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I listened to it. I thought it was great. Thank you. Uh, I read also, uh, maybe I read it on your website, perhaps, that um, you were, you were going to put together like a, a book of the stories, Wow Town News. Is that right? That's, that is in there. That, that is in that sort of um, outer realm of, I think I can do everything. Um, I'll do that one on Tuesday and that one on Thursday. And then you get to Thursday and realize that you haven't even started on the first thing yet. I've done a couple of sketches and I, I've, I've just got, I just bite off far more than I can chew. So I can't, much as I'd like to, I can't say that that's going to be coming out next week or anything like that. Um, I'd like to think that I could get to it, but again, it's, it's, it's a battle that I do with myself all the time or a little dance that I do thinking I can do so many things um, but then realizing that you can't give if you want to do something if you want to do something really good you've got to spend a lot of time and put a lot of attention towards it and um, even while I say that I know that you can also do that by letting things ferment and putting them on the back burner for a while so there might come a day or a week or a, a year at some point where I wake up and I say it is time to do the Wow Town book, but um, it's not going to be any time as soon as I'd like it to be, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it's, it's nice to have a side project that you can kind of dip into when you're, when, uh, when you're working on a project, perhaps, that it, you're kind of struggling with. And then That's you can kind of true, yeah. 
divert yourself onto the side project for a while and just sort of somehow renew your creative energy and go back to the main thing again. Yeah, no, that's very, it's very true. Um, I, I have a, a little bit of that built into, into what I do just in, by virtue of the fact that I'm, I look at them very much the same, but when I'm building an, an instrument or a, a music making machine, it's it's not exactly the same as when I'm out playing a live show. So, or when you're, I mean, any any musician that also performs live, there's there's that dichotomy of you you can you spend some time in a studio situation or in your your home studio situation where you're you're introverted and you're you're working on your your music, you're building something, and then the outside element where you're actually presenting it to people on the outside. So there are, I, I entirely agree with you. There's, there's a lot of times where I get stuck on a song, in a songwriting situation and put it aside and go build something or, or yeah, draw a picture or what have you. And, and it definitely informs the other things that you're doing and, and makes each thing a, a little bit more well-rounded, I think. As long as you don't um, spread yourself way too thin, which I've been guilty of sometimes. You're doing it with your, your podcast with, um, I actually listened to the, the very short one in which you were describing how you had, your podcast had become two separate things, but then you were moving into joining them together, which I guess is what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, I've got kind of two different sections. So I've got like an interview section and a comedy slash storytelling section. And yeah, it's it's now one big extravaganza, which is nice. It's, uh, right. How's that go? How's that going as far as have you had feedback from people about? Do they like that or? Yeah, yeah. I think everyone who's listened to it has liked it. I think the 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 issue that I'm having is that it's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's kind of nice I've, got, I've kind of got the time at the moment i'm just sort of putting what i can into it at the moment and it's uh, yeah it's, it's been great to um to kind of have it in a in a format that i want it to be in uh because it's uh, yeah for a while it's kind of been kind of evolving in it moving in two different directions so i kind of slammed it all together in one thing and yeah it's kind of like a weird radio show now yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. that's how I describe it. It's a weird radio show. A, a variety show. Yes, um, yeah. You that's... have a, a, a chorus of dancing girls in the middle and you'll have an official old-fashioned variety show. <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking of doing some kind of like ironically cheesy jingles or something, <laughs> but um, I can't bring myself to do it. Yeah. So, because right. <laughs> uh, I think perhaps people might miss the irony, and they might think that that I'm just that I'm just cheesy. So it's yeah, hard to think that irony thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's good to keep irony at arm's length. It's good to have it in your toolbox, but don't have it as your main tool. I'm just talking off the top of my head, really. I'm I'm sound I sound like I've got all these philosophical ideas to hand. I'm just making it up as I go along, really. I I was trying to think of a I was I was trying to think of something really ironic to say in re response, something cleverly <laughs> ironic to say, um, oh, but yeah. I didn't get it. Irony is so over. <laughs> Oh,
did this record the songs from the films of David Lynch which was cover songs of of music that were featured in his films um which I would I'd been a fan for for a long time and um that was actually unlike unlike most of the projects I've been talking about it kind of felt like it just came together really fairly quickly and kind of naturally and was was very well received I think and, uh, people are always asking me when I'm going to do a, a Quentin Tarantino record or <laughs> something along those lines which I'm not going to do. It seems to me that um, kind of the existence of David Lynch as a person it slightly contradicts some of the things that we've been um, talking about earlier on. Just because he's hugely successful, somehow people have accepted him into the mainstream, even though he's... I think that's a case of, uh, he, he, did, he did Eraserhead, and I think it, um, Mel Brooks was told, I believe, to go and see this amazing film, and, and he loved it. And I believe it was he that set Lynch up with The Elephant Man, I, I think Mel Brooks being being sort of a uh, massive, you know, a massive and powerful person in Hollywood, taking a liking to this guy that was doing, most people probably wouldn't have done that. I think um, he took a real chance on him. You know, there's stories of how um, even Anthony Hopkins was did not get along well with Lynch during and during the filming of this and such, but. Then it went on to get nominated for a bunch of, of Academy Awards. And it just, it was one of those great stories. Um, and, and I mean, The Elephant Man is an amazing movie. It's um, yeah. it is something that, and I think this is what all, all of us who want to, who, who know that we're doing something that's not, not necessarily easily digestible would, you know, wish to happen. Um, is that uh, you would get a break like this in which you found that avenue to a wider exposure through something that didn't necessarily look like it would touch a nerve, but, but absolutely does. So people, people that saw that film in, you know, probably like multiplex cinemas would, would have you know, they, they just, they just got it from the get-go. It was a story that took them in and a story that really touched them deeply and based on a true story. And not, you know, very unlike in so many ways, many of the other things that Lynch has ever done. And, you know, there'd be people that would argue that he shot himself in the foot after that um, with, with other things that he did. But, but I, I don't really think so. I think once, 
I mean, maybe Inland Empire is a bit inaccessible for anybody, but yeah, that was his, that was his, his road into a, a mainstream audience really. And then, and then he's, he's, he is a great filmmaker. All that I said earlier about finding that thing that brings people into a story, makes it palatable to them enough so that they're, once they're in there, they're going to stick out the rough parts. He does a lot of that. I think he's also had a lot of people walk out on his films in the middle when they get too weird. So, you know, he would probably argue that he doesn't have as, as large an audience as he could had he done a mainstream, more of a mainstream thing. I just think it's, it's interesting that he exists in, in the, to, to the extent that he does, you know, that he's been able to make the films that he has. And yeah, I agree. I'm glad yeah. that he has, though. So on Ben and Ben Kemp, I have a, a thing called the Full Moon Music Club, which is another one of these things that I've challenges I've put to myself where I come up with a song on the night of the full moon. I release a either a song or a, a piece of, of instrumental music. Or for a while, I did a, a um, I think I did 15 episodes of a story about a little girl in a tree. Uh, it's a little bit like Patreon. People can subscribe to this every month there are you know there's a community bulletin board and um various free music bits that come out of it but it's been a cool thing because it it develops as it goes along and uh challenges me in ways especially in ways where whenever the full moon is on its way i realize i've got to come up with something for this and um it's got a real deadline built into it i think yeah i think i tend to to sometimes overwork things or let things go on for too long without actually putting them out there. Whereas with this, it actually has to happen each full moon. How long have you been doing this for? I started doing it in, when I was in Germany. So I think it's three and a half, between three and a half, four years now. It's Okay, cool. So if people subscribe to it, they can get kind of the back catalogue of previous uh, full moons? You get, yes, you get the, all, all the things that I've made within the club and a few other exclusive things that I came up with um, when I started it. And it's, it's a lot like a Patreon thing. It, it, helps, um, it helps me pay the bills and keep making music. And, um, and I think it's also just a, unique thing in it in itself there are some people that are subscribed to it that are insisting that i'm i'm not doing myself any favors by making all this exclusive material because um obviously i'm not going to be growing my audience but 
I, I feel pretty strongly that if you put something out that's meant exclusively for people that are supporting you like that, that it should be that way. It's a way of uh, rewarding people who are loyal fans of yours, I guess, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Says he's not broken yet, but the studio's no good. We just make trash for boneheads and they think they're Hollywood. Rose says she's not homeless, she has got two homes in fact. The ribs around her heart and the coat over her back. Save, save me, save me, please, my friend. Promise me that death is just a 
Thank you for listening. Many, many thanks to Thomas Truax for his fine contributions to this fine show. All the links to Thomas's music can be found in the show notes. My website is frankburton.co.uk. Please do buy my books. Check out the Ragbag Rambler video series. And whatever else you want to do with your life, I recommend that you do that too. I will see you very soon. Next week we'll have another tremendous guest. Thank you very much. And I love you all. Bye-bye. I'm available. Ragbag Podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more. Oh.